let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dig in, let's look to the Lord to guide our steps this morning. Dear Jesus, let the book live to me. Show me thyself within thy word. Show me myself and show me my Savior. And let the book live to me. Amen. So last week, just as a course of of remembering, we were talking about the church at Laodicea and how Jesus wrote a letter to the church that was a warning saying, hey, you think you're this way. You say you're rich. You've acquired wealth. You don't need a thing. But he says, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And he says, you're lukewarm, and I don't like lukewarm faith. And so we talked about how we could look at the church at Laodicea and diagnose in ourselves any faith that was not completely committed to the full devotion of Jesus. And that Jesus wants our full devotion or no devotion at all. He doesn't want half of us. He wants everything. And remember, we talked about Judas, that Judas was a guy who looked on the outside like he had it all together. Like on the outside, it looked like he was doing really great stuff. But inwardly, his heart was far from Jesus. And we recognize that it's possible to appear to be very close to Jesus and yet be quite far. And if you remember, we talked about how we have to recognize and be honest about the symptoms. So when you go to the doctor, you share your symptoms and then they can get a proper diagnosis. So when we look at our hearts and we examine our hearts, we can begin to understand what the diagnosis is and what the lukewarm life looks like. But this morning, we're not talking about diagnosing the lukewarm life. We're talking about how do we recover from it? How do we go from saying, Lord, last week I realized I was not committed to you fully. I realized there's things in my life that I'm holding on to. There's things that keep me from fully following you. How do I get to where I want to be? So this morning, we're going to look at these two parallel passages Because I believe that there are amazing parallels between these two texts. And there's going to be four stages of recovery for us. Just like you would go to a 12-step program, there's steps. But I want to outline for you four stages of our recovery from a lukewarm life. So if you're taking notes, the first one is that we need to recognize that the lukewarm life is spiritual death. So recognize that the lukewarm life is spiritual death. Secondly, we need to confront our despair. We need to confront our despair. Thirdly, we need to declare God's word. So we'll declare God's word. And then finally, we need to embrace our destiny. So recognize the lukewarm life is spiritual death. We need to to confront our despair, we need to declare God's word, and we need to embrace our destiny. Everyone got it? 
So first, we need to recognize that the lukewarm life is spiritual death. Okay? So let's start in Ezekiel. So I'm going to do my best to keep you on track because we are going to be jumping back and forth between these two texts, okay? So I want to follow parallelly through these two texts. So here's Ezekiel. Ezekiel is up in the morning. He has got his morning coffee. Um, He's on the Bible app. He's doing his morning devotion. He's having a good morning, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes and takes him and leads him into this vision. And in this vision, he is in this valley. So imagine you're in the very bottom of a valley and you're looking up and you see cliffs all around you and and you're at the lowest point. And as he looks at the cliffs and he looks at the ground all around him, all he can see are bones. And so he's looking and he's like, boy, I would rather be with my coffee and I would rather be reading um, the Bible. God, why in the world would you lead me out here? And the only thing that he can see is death. Right? Because bones without skin and bones without muscles and bones without ligaments, the bones are what's left. Right? The bones are just everywhere. They are symbolic of death. That means someone, something has died. And they're everywhere, so this has been a place of incredible death because there's bones everywhere. But it's not just that the bones are everywhere, it's that they're dry. So it's not just that there's lots of death everywhere, it's been there for a long, long time. And as we look at this, the first thing that Ezekiel has to do is recognize that God has brought him in to a place where there's death. Going back to the church at Laodicea, when we choose to live a life where we take the name of Christian but we leave Jesus on the outside, we are choosing to live in a valley of dry bones. We are choosing a faith that is dry bones. So Ezekiel recognizes the the death, right? Let's jump forward now to John. So Jesus is out. He's doing ministry. He's healing blind people. He probably yelled at a Pharisee. He He was doing all sorts of ministry. And then some folks come to him right before the text we read, and they said, you know, Lazarus is pretty sick. Lazarus is sick. You should come see him. Now, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and the three of them were incredible supporters of Jesus' ministry. These three siblings loved Jesus. They supported him, and they wanted to see his kingdom come. And Jesus says, hey, thanks for telling me. I'll I'll get there when I can. I have things to do. This is not because Jesus didn't care. He wasn't blowing them off, but then he does come, right? Jesus comes, 
And as he, as he comes up there, Martha runs to him. Said, my brother's been dead for four days. And the whole situation that we see in John 11 is sparked by the moment that Lazarus died. It starts with death. In order to have any of the rest of the story, it has to start with recognizing that death is there. And beyond that, when we look further, Martha says, don't open that tomb because he's been in there four days. Don't do it, Jesus. That if we want to recover from a lukewarm life, we have to recognize that without Jesus fully at the center, that there is death in our lives. You follow me? So we have to recognize that the lukewarm life brings spiritual death. And then we need to confront, we need to confront our despair. So let's go back to Ezekiel. I told you we're going to be jumping. Ezekiel is there. He's looking at the bones. And then God asks him a question. Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? It's a really interesting question. <laughs> like, so just to give you like a, a peek behind the curtain of, of my brain, which is very scary, so maybe you fasten your seatbelt. Like, I would look at a text. When I take a text, I want to put myself in that position and try and feel and understand and reason why something occurred that a way that it does, right? So I was like, that's really kind of an awkward question. Why does God even need to ask me a question? God would know, right? And so God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And then I'm like, how would I respond to that? Okay? And so first, if I was just like not thinking, I would be like, uh, no, they can't live. They're dead. Why would you think that these bones could live? And then if I started thinking, I would wrap myself up in a pretzel so tight that I would have no idea what to say. Because I'd be like, okay, why is God, why is God asking me this? Does he want me to say no? Because the answer seems like it's obviously no. But maybe he wants me to say yes because he's God and he can do things. So maybe I should say yes. But, but if I say yes and I'm wrong, then I don't know what to do. You ever overthink things like that? And I imagine that I'd say, God, I don't understand the question. And then he would be like, here's the question again. And I'd be like, oh my word. And so in a moment of panic, in my opinion, Ezekiel's like, I don't know how to answer this question. This question is too hard for me. And so he says, I don't know, God, what do you think? You know, like, I see valid points, both sides. I can kind of see I'm undecided, but you tell me what you think. And then when you tell me what you think, then I'll make my decision. So you tell me, let's have a discussion, right? God never answers him. God never says, well, of course they can live. But look at his response. Because 
sitting back here thousands of years later, studying it from a warm or a cool air-conditioned office, not a warm office, air conditioning's working great, I could be like, of course those bones can live, Lord. You are the God who created the universe. You are the God who set all these things in motion. You did it with a word. Of course, if you will for these bones to live, they will live. And if you don't will for them to live, then they won't live. This is all dependent upon your will. If you want it to happen, it'll happen. He said, uh, I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, he doesn't know what to do. He's surrounded by death and he doesn't know how to answer it. There's a despair in his heart that he can't possibly reconcile. Now let's fast forward to the book of John. Jesus is coming to the place where Lazarus was and Martha sprints out to meet him. Before we go any further, I think there's that Martha gets a bad rap. Okay, there was a book written, it was like, have a merry heart in a Martha world, and we need to be more like Mary and stop being like Martha. Martha had faith. This was not a woman who doubted Jesus. This was not a woman that didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. She had faith. Worth our admiration, this woman runs to Jesus And look at what she says. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. That doesn't sound like a woman with doubts, does it? She didn't say like, Jesus, maybe if you would have come, maybe he could have gotten better. Maybe, maybe, maybe. She said, no, if you had been here, he would be alive. And Jesus, in this wonderful interaction, he says, hey, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he'll rise again in the last days. I know that in the future... He'll rise again, I'll see him again, and we'll worship you forever. But today, my heart is torn out because my brother's dead. And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not that I was the resurrection in the life. It's not that I will be the resurrection in the life. I am today, right now, at this moment, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And what Martha is saying is, Jesus, I know you could have, and I know in the future you will, but today there's nothing you can do about it. Not because she didn't believe in Jesus, but because her despair had overtaken her, because the the circumstance of today was smothering her. And she, 
she says, Lord, don't, don't even bother moving the stone away because he's dead. Does that, does that sit with you? That sits with me because I can look back at all the stories. Amanda talked about the story of Joseph. I can look back and say, wow, God did some amazing things in the past. He led the people through the, through the Red Sea. He did so many amazing things. And I can't wait for the future moment when I'll see Jesus face to face and will worship him forever. But today I just feel hopeless. Today it feels like there's no answer. Take heart, friends, because Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life, and he is that for us today. Not just yesterday and not just tomorrow. He is today. So we have to recognize that the lukewarm life brings spiritual death, and then we need to confront our despair. And thirdly, we need to declare God's word. So here's Ezekiel. He just said, God, you know whether these bones could live. And God didn't say, well, yes, let me explain this to you, Ezekiel. Like, I'm God, so I could just make these bones live. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to grab the podium, okay, and I want you to set that up, um, and I want you to start preaching to the bones. So I want you to start preaching to them. And so here's Ezekiel. It's Sunday morning. And he says, hey, welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here to worship. Um, it's a quiet crowd. He's cracking some jokes. And then he starts preaching the word of God to the bones. And again, putting myself in the story, I imagine that Ezekiel probably was starting off pretty timid. Like, God said that there would be breath that would enter you, and so if you would just do that. And as he starts speaking the word of God to the bones, the cliffs and the valley and the ground begins to shake. And now here's Ezekiel, and he's watching the bones come off, and they're putting together, they're creating a skeleton, and now there's ligaments, and there's muscle, and there's skin that is now coming on these skeletons that have just been formed, and he continues to preach. And I imagine that the more and more he sees this happening, the more exciting, the more, the more energetic he's becoming, because he is seeing that the word, when the word of God is proclaimed, even to the driest of bones, God does something magical. God uses his power to demonstrate his greatness. So Ezekiel looks and hears the vast multitude, a great army, standing before him. And God says, see what I can do? Think I can do it now? And he says, but these, these bones, they need breath, right? Like, they're standing up, they're right there, but they need breath. 
Guess what I need you to do, Ezekiel? I need you to preach to them. And so he begins to preach some more. He keeps going. God's saying, keep going. And as they do, the breath of God enters into these, to these souls, to these, to these bodies. And God says, man, now we've got it. Now there's life into what was once dead. You see, God's word is living and active. When we come here and we hear the preaching of the word, when we sit and we read our Bibles in the morning, when we sit and listen to other things proclaimed through the word of God, when we do Bible studies, we have to recognize that it is not a stagnant book. It is living and active and it will bring life into us. And when we think about the breath, the word in the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. It's the root word for pneumonia. Pneumonia is a respiratory disease. That's where we get the air. And this is the breath of God, which now represents the Holy Spirit. So when we speak of breath and wind in the New Testament, that's the Spirit of God. Now these these dead bodies that have been brought back to life, now they have the breath of God, the Holy Spirit in them, and now there's life. I think that's pretty cool. Fast forward. Now let's go back to John. So we've had this interaction. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the, the life. There's some more conversation, but then they go to the tomb and he says, hey, why don't we move that stone? Martha was like, don't move the stone. Probably because she's trying to get past it, right? I imagine she's just trying to deal with the fact that her brother's dead. She doesn't want, she wants to just be moving on. They move the stone. And what does Jesus do? Hey, Lazarus! Come out! He didn't go, he didn't lay hands on him. He didn't spread water, he didn't put mud. He said the words, Lazarus, come out. To the keen observer, you would see that if you had a red letter Bible, those words are in red letter because Jesus spoke that. And what happens? You wait a few seconds, all of a sudden you hear some rumbling. All of a sudden you see shadows, you think, see things moving. And what happens? Lazarus comes out. And why did that happen? Because God spoke it. God said it and it happened. You see, the key for us to overcoming the lukewarm life is to get into God's word, to feast on it, to allow his word to enter us, to fill us with his spirit. And that will bring us a life because Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God describes the incarnate Jesus as the Word made flesh. 
I don't want to be lukewarm. I want God's word to fill my heart, to flood my soul with truth. I want it to convict me of sin. I want him to show me to love others better than I do. We can't avoid the lukewarm life without God's word because it will bring life to us. So we have to recognize that the lukewarm life brings spiritual death. We have to confront our despair. We need to declare God's word. And finally, we need to embrace our destiny. You see, Jesus called out to Lazarus, come out of the grave, Lazarus. And what did Lazarus do? He came out of the grave. It wasn't just that he came back to life. He had to come out of the grave. He had to leave behind a place where he had been in order to go to where God needed him to be. James says, don't just be hearers of the word of God, be doers of the word of God. That it's wonderful to come hear the word of God preached. It's wonderful to take part in Bible studies. It's wonderful to have a great devotional time. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. But we have to do what it says. Just like the song this morning, we need to trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Friends, the lukewarm life is not about strictly an intellectual process. It is about transformation of our minds and transformation of our lives. And why do we need to reflect transformed lives? For the glory of our Savior. Because our God is worthy of our praise. I don't know about you, I don't want to be lukewarm. I hope that when I stand face to face with Jesus, he said, man, you were red hot for me. You were red hot. And my prayer is that for the rest of you, you would hear him say the same thing. Let's be a congregation of believers that are red hot for the name of Jesus Christ that will hear his word and do what it says. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these um, wonderful texts that you've given to us. And I pray that as we leave this place, that people would see us as individuals and see us as a congregation that is filled with passion and desire for the name of Jesus to be glorified. In Jesus' name.